hey, maybe you didn't know this, but once I went to a big Christian music concert. How about that? It drew a huge crowd, like 20,000 people. Some of the most popular Christian artists of the time were playing. It was awesome. The music was amazing. The stage was amazing. But here's the thing. The longer the concert went on, the more and more upset I became. And the reason is because back in the day, in middle school, I was a tenor one in choir. And since the time I was a little kid, I could play G, D, C, E minor on guitar. And not one time did they ever invite me onto stage. I'd show you now, but I don't want to show off. Um, you know, not that long ago, I went to a conference with about 600 other public speakers. I mean, just really smart, really brilliant kinds of people, authors, speakers, entrepreneurs, church planters, nationally known communicators. But as the weekend went on, I got more and more irritated. You see, not one time did they ever ask me to get up and to speak. And if you didn't know, I get up on stage and talk to people every now and again. And I do it for you now, but I don't want to make you feel bad. I'll just tell you about one more thing. When I first got married, I surprised my wife with tickets to a, a Bulls game. And surprisingly, they weren't doing so great that season, and, and I just had to lean over and tell my wife how stupid the coach was being. Not one time did he look up and point at me and put me in the game. And, you know, I played a lot of basketball growing up. And not to brag, but I actually got onto an intramural basketball team in college. Yeah, pretty good. I show you now, but I don't have the proper shoes on, you know. Anyone that's ever been part of a crowd knows that there's a big difference between observing and participating with what's going on on stage. Being part of the crowd is low commitment, low investment. A few years ago, Luis right here invited me to my first Ice Hogs game. I'll tell you what, I was a fan. Never been to a hockey game, but as soon as I went, I said, I am an Ice Hogs fan now. 30 bucks, I bought a t-shirt, and I bought a hat, and I was a fan. But you know what, I haven't been back since that first game. <laughs> Compare my involvement and my investment to the guys on the ice. Guys who eat and sleep and dream hockey. Guys who are born with a stick in their hand. Being part of the crowd is pretty easy compared to playing the game. Being part of the crowd is low commitment, low investment, but being part of the crowd means that it will have little or no impact on your life. I haven't been back to the Ice Hogs game, but it, I don't have the t-shirt anymore. I don't have the hat anymore, but I'm still a diehard fan. Unless any of you guys want to take me to a Wolves game and maybe I'll get a new shirt. There's a big difference between being part of the crowd and a participant of what's going on. It's easy to be part of the crowd, but being a participant requires commitment. Being a participant requires involvement. Being a participant is an investment of your time, and so it is an investment of your life. Being a participant is high commitment, high investment, but the results equal a high return and a large impact on your life. And today we're going to be talking about the difference between being part of the crowd and a participant. It may surprise you that Jesus was never about growing a large crowd. What's even more surprising is that a few thousand years ago, there was even less on TV than there is right now. Anybody else finished Netflix yet? I don't know about you, but I have. My son said no. They'll watch as much TV as I give them a chance to. Back in Jesus' time, Jesus put on a pretty good show, and people would show up to watch. 
Once Jesus surprised thousands of people with a catered meal just like that. The food was so good that they showed up again just to see if he would do it, and he did it. And so they showed up again, thousands of people just fed. Once Jesus had a reputation for being able to heal people in a time where a simple infection could be deadly to you, that was a big deal. So that you would load your sick people Monty Python style onto a cart, just bring them over to Jesus and say, heal this guy, and he would be able to do it. And so people showed up. Jesus taught through a form of teaching called parables or stories, and people love those. Often they would show up just because they liked to hear his teaching or his stories. Once Jesus brought somebody back from the dead, and then people really went crazy after that, and they showed up. But maybe what was best of all is that Jesus was actually kind of politically spicy. He would call openly and publicly call out prominent religious leaders, and he used really amazing euphemisms like this, sons of snakes and whitewashed tombs. So next time you're in your car and you get really mad, you can say, brood of snakes, out the window, and nobody will know what you're saying, but you'll feel better, believe me. <laughs> Drama makes really good TV, and so people showed up. Jesus drew huge crowds. Mark chapter 3 says this, Jesus went out onto the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, I don't know how to say that word, and from the east of the Jordan River, even as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Thousands upon thousands of people came to hear and to see the spectacle that was Jesus Christ, son of Nazareth. Drew huge, huge crowds. But Jesus, Jesus didn't do any of that so that he could have a large gathering. Jesus' primary goal was not to grow participants. Or sorry, Jesus' primary goal was not to grow a crowd, but to grow participants. If you think about times that you've changed in your life or grown or matured, you'll realize that growth is always a relational thing. It's always this intimate and individual thing. It's always a thing that happens in the context of being known and knowing other people. We do not grow in isolation. We do not mature independent of each other. It's through relationship and an intentionality that we become. And we see again and again that Jesus tried to escape the crowds but embraced close relationships to him. He would get away from the people and get away with his disciples or his participants. And he would talk to them and minister to them and he did life with them. Jesus knew the difference between people in a crowd and those who were truly following or participating in life with him. John chapter 2 says it this way. He says, because of the miraculous signs that Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Jesus knew, just like we know, that being part of a crowd is easy, but a participant, that requires a commitment. As the saying goes, easy come and easy go. You know, it was the same people that followed Jesus, that showed up to see the signs, to get fed, to get healing, to see the stories, to see the show. It was those same people that also showed up to jeer at Jesus when he was hung on a tree. It was those same people that were there and applauding him and clapping for him that then received bribes to bring false accusations to Jesus. 
The crowd doesn't really care what's going on the stage. The crowd wants the show. And so they were either there for the stories or for his crucifixion. Either way, the crowd was satisfied. Jesus knew the difference between a person in the crowd or somebody that was participating in life with him. Jesus had compassion on the crowds. He spent lots of times with the crowds. He healed them and, and he taught them in the temples. He told them stories. He ate and he drank with them. But Jesus' goal was never to grow a large following. Jesus spent time with the crowd, but he lived with, invested into, revealed secrets to, and got away with participants, not the crowd. The church word that we use for participant is disciple. Discipleship, or the word disciple, is not often used outside of religious context nowadays, but you are a disciple. Discipleship is not a foreign concept to us. It is merely just training ourselves, committing ourselves, investing yourself to become what you think will satisfy or fulfill you. It's pretty accurate to be able to say it this way, is that discipleship will follow your desires. You know, I went to bed last night, and all I wanted to do was watch another episode of Seinfeld. And before I did that, I wanted a second bowl of ice cream. And before I did that, I wanted another piece of candy out of my kids' Easter baskets. This morning, I woke up pretty early, and all I wanted to do was hit that snooze button again, and I did three times. After that, I found a hot shower, and it was only by the grace of God that I found my way out of those hot waters. After I did that, all I wanted to do was the dark black cup of coffee with notes of cherry and milk chocolate and citrus. And all I wanted to do was to sit in that cup of coffee for as long as possible. All of us have desires inside of us. Some of you have a desire that's already brewing you for a Sunday nap. Some of you already have a desire for a full plate of ham and mashed potatoes, and some of you already have a desire to take your parent tax out of your kids' Easter baskets at the Easter egg hunts after this. But all of us know that those are just the superficial desires on top. All of us, every day, fight the desires of the now versus the desires of the future, or the superficial desires versus our deeper desires or our deepest desires. I know that eating a piece of cake will make me feel good right now, but I know that exercise and clean eating will make my whole day, my whole life feel better. I, I know that staying up late and binging another hour of TV feels good in the moment, but I know that deeper beyond that, that I want to feel well-rested and not close to irritation or frustration. And I know that that comes out of rest. And so we fight the desires of the moment versus the desires of the things far off. Because we know the things that will satisfy us right now. But what are the things that will genuinely bring us deep satisfaction and fulfillment in life? Our deepest desires. Underneath every superficial desire, you can find your deepest, deepest desires. And discipleship is simply this. Your method or your vehicle in which you reach those deepest longings and wants. If you take a moment and sweep away every single superficial desire of the urgent, sleep and hunger and bathroom breaks and entertainment, you would find that deeper desire underneath all of those thoughts. And generally, you probably fall into this category is that you and I have a deep, deep desire to be genuinely loved. Each one of us has a desire to have peace in our life. Each one of us wants to live a life 
that is meaningful and not wasted. So the question is, how are you getting there? Who or what are you training your body, conditioning your life after? Who or what are you following or discipling yourself after to reach those deepest desires in you? Living for the show satisfies the immediate desires, but being a disciple is a disciple is a work to satisfy those deepest desires hidden under the present and the moment and the clamorous things of the right now. You are a disciple of something. You are becoming like someone. Everyone has someone or something that they are following intentionally, spending your time around to become more and more like them. And I don't know who it is for you. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe you love your parents or love your grandpa and grandma. And when you go into a situation, you think, man, how, how would grandpa react in this? You do something that's worth uh, applaud, and you think, man, if grandma could see me now, she'd be so proud of me. Or you would go into another situation and think, man, how would this person handle this situation? And you think, I'm going to do what I think that they would do because I want to be like them. I, I know a lot of guys that are disciples of Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's like the, the manliest man out there. He hunts elk and he fights and he's, has, he's funny. Just an amazing guy. Does cold plunges every day. He's the epitome of health, it seems. So I know a lot of guys that buy deep freezers and throw them in their backyard and eat elk meat because they want to be like Joe Rogan. So they try to do what he does. I know a lot of people, and maybe this is you, is that you want to be like your favorite influencer that follows, finds, you, finds itself on your reels. You love the type of parent that they are, fun but responsible, kind and intentional. And so what do you do? You do the things that they do. You read their books, you follow their reels, and you try to do the activities that they're doing because you're trying to become like them. Discipleship is this odd word that we don't use very much in our everyday vocabulary, but every single one of us is discipling or training ourselves, to participating in a way of life that we think will lead to those deepest most satisfying, most fulfilling desires in our life. And I'd like to give you a second right now. And I wonder for you, if you could do it just mentally, think of a broom and just sweep away all the things of the urgent. Underneath all of that, what's your deepest desire? Maybe it's love. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's fulfillment. I don't know. But for you, what is your deepest, deepest longing or want? Again, who are you following? What are you doing? Who are you discipling yourself after to attain that life? Now, I'd like to just take a little bit of time today, and I actually want to share with you my per just a little bit of my personal story of why I am a disciple of Jesus. Paul writes it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. He says, let me show you a way of life that is best of all. I love how he says that. Because you know and I know that there are a lot of ways to go about life. We think that career will do it. We think that good kids will do it. We think that a community might do it. We think athletics might do it. We think a certain body type or a number on a scale will do it. There's lots of ways to go about satisfying the desires that are buried deep inside of you. 
But I fully believe there is only one way that is the best way of all. Let me show you a way of life that is best of all. I believe for myself that is Jesus. I've said this before, but for the sake of everyone here, I just want to say this one more time, that growing up, my mother had a drug problem. She drugged me to church, and she drugged me to prayer meetings, and she drugged me everywhere. Choice from the time I was little, whether I had an hour to church, two-hour service, lunch afterwards, going home, not being allowed to play PlayStation 1 or watch TV, having to wear really itchy corduroy pants. From a young age, I was going to be a part of the crowd at a Christian gathering. But you know, like many, many children and many, many adults raised in church, I figured out that being a part of the crowd was pretty low commitment. I, I actually could fake it pretty well. On Sunday morning, I'd show up and I could put my hands up. I knew the songs. On Monday through Saturday, I could get up and I could pray the prayer because my mom said, you have to pray before you get up and do anything else. And so I'd put, stand on my knees, I'd kneel down, I'd pray. I'd read one chapter out of my Bible and I'd take a box and I would check it. Done. My spiritual commitment to the Lord is fulfilled this week. I could be in the service like this and I could put my hands up and I could praise and I could worship and in the parking lot. I could flip and I could cuss my friends out because it had no effect on me. It was just something I did. It was just a way to do life. It had, I was not really bought into it. I perfected the art of what it looks like to show up at a Sunday gathering and live one way and then live a completely diff different way Monday through Saturday. And that lasted all through my teens. And so I closed in on high school, and I had no aspirations for the future. I, I was so lost, guys. I was like, I th maybe I'll be a baker. I, that, that was like, not that there's anything wrong with that, but if you know me, there's, I, I would be dead. Like, I couldn't even feed myself if I was a baker. And so I was like, maybe I'll just go to school and be a baker. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I got invited to this gap year kind of program, and I went away for a year, and I, I went and checked it out, and I was like, man, these guys are awesome. This seems like a lot of fun. I'll, I'll go and hang out with these people for a year. And what it was, it was a school of discipleship. I, I didn't realize that, but I thought it was a place to have fun and to ride horses and to do summer camps and retreats and, you know, go uh, sledding down the back hill, which was just incredible, and we broke some arms and stuff doing that. And I thought it was a fun time to go climb trees and to jump off of these pits and cliffs. And I, we did that and broke more arms. And I thought it was just a fun time to get away. But really what it was was that a place of becoming somebody that I didn't know I wanted to become. And so in January, when I was about 19 years old, I remember the day, not the date, but I remember the day. It was right before my 20th birthday. And I remember saying, I, I have been faking this for a really long time. And I think I'm really ready to actually all out follow Jesus. And it was in that moment that I became a participant with Jesus and not just part of the crowd that would show up to the obligatory services, check my Bible Monday through Saturday and make sure I did that. And so it was that time that I said, I will become a participant with Jesus. And life didn't get instantly better. I, I was still deep in addiction at that time. I still was doing things that I blatantly knew were wrong, that the Bible, the church would say are wrong. 
And so becoming a participant with Jesus was a death and a birth at the same time. There were things in my life that had to stop, things that must be killed and cut out. And so when I became a participant with Jesus or a disciple of Jesus, it affected how I spoke to people. It affected how I spent my time. It affected how I approached food. It affected my relationships. It affected how I used entertainment in my life with movies and music and how I spent my Saturdays. It changed everything because I realized that I had been trying to do something and it wasn't satisfying me. I deeply loathed myself. I, I was deeply insecure. I, I needed you to tell me that you liked me, that I was worth loving, that I was okay to be around. I had no security in myself. I thought if people really knew what I was like, they would hate me just like I hate myself. And I realized that year after year of doing this and pursuing life this way was not working. Let me show you a way of life that is best of all. So I was set on fire for Jesus, man. I, I was just doing everything I could, telling everybody I could. Last week I told you guys how I just was really bad at evangelism. I just, you know, blatantly beat my siblings over the head with the Bible saying, do you want to burn in hell? Then come to Jesus. I'm really misguided, but I was on fire for Jesus. And so out of that, I went to Mississippi and I participated with a ministry. Actually, not even volunteer. I paid them to serve at this, this ministry for a whole year. And that year marked some of the most pain I've ever, emotional pain, relational pain I've ever experienced in my life. Christians hurt me. Organized religion and church hurt me. Because I thought, man, here's a bunch of people that are doing it right. Surely they'll get it right. <laughs> if you've been around church long enough, you realize we're just a bunch of people trying to figure it out. Deeply, deeply flawed. If you talk to my wife, you'd be, uh, you'd probably kick me off the pulpit. Because I'm still just trying to figure it out, guys. And so during that time, one of, uh, one of my best friends, he was my boss, but also my mentor. Uh, he was my friend. I would go and hang out at his house on the weekends. We would, we would go see movies together. I'd play with his kids. I mean, I would go to him for girl advice. I was, he was just so invested in my life. And one day, he was a Christian. Somebody I wanted to be like. And so one day I woke up and went to the meeting spot to start work and realized that in the middle of the night he had abandoned his wife and three children. He ran away with a student who was also a Christian and a very, very close friend of mine and half his age. In the middle of the night, he tucked his five, three, and one-year-old into bed Friday night, and they woke up Saturday morning abandoned by their father. And that just gutted me. A man that I had just been following and trying to be like. And he hurt me so bad. And then on top of that, because of that, the ministry I served with just had a terrible fallout. And there was just terrible things. We don't need to get lost in the details there. But just know that I came back from that year of ministry just so hurt and spiraling. And it was the one year in my whole life, and the only time in my whole life, that I've ever questioned, is God really there? Why would he let me hurt this way? Why would he let these people do this? How could Christians, how could a church, how could a ministry do that? And so what did I do after that? I just did the normal stuff. I went and worked a factory job, put in overtime to make good money, hung out with my friends, but I didn't abandon church. 
I stopped serving in all capacities, but I began to just show up. And I went to a small church, new church. Nobody knows me. I just want to go someplace anonymous. So it was a small church, maybe 50 people, and <laughs> just tremendously wonderful people. Tremendously wonderful, deeply flawed, flawed people. I never got so blackout drunk as I did around that group of people. In a time of wandering and being lost, they led me to deeper sin than I ever had been. But what they showed me was is that they're not perfect. They don't have it all right. What they're trying to do is as a community of people, they're trying to become like Jesus. And so it was in a bunch of flawed sinners that were called Christians that we sat in a basement one night after a year of hurting and a year of questioning God. And I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, it just dawned on me. There was no big flash, no big show, no smoke machines, nothing like that. I just knew that I was all out for Jesus. And if these people were doing it, and they could be this deeply flawed, I could still follow Jesus. I realized in that moment that the guy who had hurt me was not Jesus. He wasn't the person I was trying to be like. The church, the ministry that hurt me, I wasn't trying to be like them. The people even in that group around that table drinking really bad coffee from those really gross styrofoam cups that melt when you put hot coffee in them. I wasn't even trying to be like them. I was trying to be like Jesus. I realized I was not trying to disciple myself after a particular person. I wanted to follow a man who lived thousands of years ago. Friday night, we did a service called Service of Shadows, and this cross was prominent in there. And every one of these nails held a black sin. We took little cards, and we wrote on them, and we put them on there. And we've done that service for years. And every year, I've never had a problem with coming up with something to put on that cross. I came with my daughter, and she said, Dad, what did you write? I said, shut up. You don't need to know. <laughs> and every Resurrection Sunday, Easter morning, we come in, and every single one of those black cards are ripped off that cross. Every year, it's a reminder to me is that even though we are deeply flawed people, there is a way of life that is best of all. A way of life that just does not satisfy the things on top to make you generally happy or life go easy. There's a way of life that will grow in you more and more love. That you will be loved and become more of a loving person. There's a way of life where you'll be able to experience peace even when life gets hard. I bet you're thinking, man, he had that encounter in the basement and then life went perfectly. No, life went terribly. Life did what life will always do, which is has its ups and its downs. Life will never be perfect. Life will be hard. But how are you handling the hardships right now? Are you, co are you growing through them? Are you the person that you want to be in them? And so the longer I sat in the discipleship with Jesus, the more I realized that there is a way of life to feel fulfilled. There is a way of life to know that I'm loved, there's a way of life to have peace even when life is hard. And so going back all those years when I was 19 years old, right before I turned 20 in January, I knew that I wanted to follow this Jesus way of life, this discipleship, even though I didn't know how to do it, even though many times it was not modeled well to me. I knew that was the way I wanted to live my life. 
I knew that I had these deepest desires in me and the way to fulfill them was to follow Jesus. Friends, that's my story, some of it, not all of it. But I don't think any of you came here to talk about me or hear about my life. I wanna talk about you. Every disciple of Jesus receives the same invitation and every disciple of Jesus must decide for themselves how they will respond. I wonder what now, what is your deepest desire? What's the thing in your life that you are most hoping if that thing just went right, life would be good? And how are you trying to fulfill it? Is it working? Let me read to you how the first disciples came to follow Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verses 16. It says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing the nets. He called them at once. They also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Becoming a disciple of Jesus, guys, is not complicated. The 12 that followed Jesus, the ones that were closest to him, they received, the, all of them received the exact same invitation. Come and follow me. The first people, the ones that we call disciples, were followers of Jesus. They were not qualified. They were not part of the culturally elite or famous. They didn't have money to buy their way in. They had no influence to win favor. They were common people, average people. They were people like me that I could relate to. And they went about life in normal ways. All of them received an invitation, come and follow me. Today, every single one of you has that same invitation. Are you happy? Is what you're doing working? Are you becoming the type of person you want to become? Are your deepest desires, not the superficial ones, are those being fulfilled? There's a verse in Matthew chapter six that says it this way. Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Friends, without Jesus, there's many ways to pursue life. Hi, son. Go sit down with your mother. We think uh, we're dominated by the present and the now, the superficial thoughts on the surface. What am I gonna wear today? We gotta get the kids to school. Do we have enough money right now to pay these bills? Do we have enough money to do a little extra on the weekend? What am I gonna do this weekend? If you can move past all those things, because all of those things are just distracting you from the thing that's below all of those, the deepest things. In a little bit, I'm gonna give you a chance to respond to this message. If you feel something inside and you're just like, I don't know what's going on today, but I know that there, it's, whatever I'm doing is not working. I'm gonna give you a chance to respond to this. If you know that you've been part of the crowd, but today you feel there's something inside you that you wanna become a disciple of Jesus, I'll, I'll give you a chance to respond to that and I'll show you how. 
But first, I just want to read this quick quote. There was this guy named Henry Nauman, and he was a Catholic priest and just an incredible author and writer and speaker, and he has just tremendous books on Christianity and becoming a disciple of Jesus. But there was this time in his life that he was just broken, hurt by a person who had called themselves a Christian, hurt by religion, but not by Jesus. And so he went away for a period of time, a long period of time, and he stopped doing all of his work except that he kept a journal. And years later, after he went through this deepest, darkest experience, he released that journal for people to read. And I just want to read you a small snippet of it. And he says, you, and he's speaking to himself, because again, this is his personal writings through the darkest time of his life. He says, you, you sense that nothing but God's love can fulfill your deepest needs while the pull to other people and things remains strong. It seems that peace and anguish exist side by side in you, that you desire both distraction and prayerful concentration. Trust the clarity with which you see what you have to do. You know that something totally new, totally unique is happening within you. It is clear that something is dying and something is being born. And a little, little while later, he says this, you are becoming aware of how close Jesus is to you. Perhaps right now you are feeling something you cannot quite explain it. Perhaps right now you're feeling this tug or desire or you're fighting something internally. Perhaps right now you're crying or you feel like crying and you're like, why? I don't ever cry. Well, friend, I would say that Jesus is getting close to you. The call is the exact same to every single one of us. Come and follow me. But how will you respond? 